Police One Academy is leading the way in high-quality, affordable training for officers nationwide. Your department can take advantage of more than 1,000 HD videos and 175 full-length courses in a robust learning management system. Training is certified or accepted for training credit in 35 states. Join the industry's most officer-friendly learning platform with more than 60,000 subscribers. To schedule a free demo, go to policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, over the course of the last month or so, we've been um, delving into, one at a time, the six pillars of 21st century policing. We led off, of course, with building trust and legitimacy. Um, the next week, uh, we, we tackled policy and oversight. Um, we've covered technology and social media most recently. That brings us to pillar number four, and that one is entitled Community Policing and Crime Reduction. Um, and, it, you know, I think we can all agree that community policing is something that's been going on for quite some time. Um, you know, when, when properly funded and properly executed, it's a very effective way in which uh, law enforcement can, you know, come together with various community groups, whether they be churches or um, you know, civic groups or uh, various uh, leaders and, and what have you, to, to create um, relationships that uh, benefit all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, it has to be properly executed and properly funded. Um, and crime reduction. Well, crime reduction, that's kind of what law enforcement's all about, is you know, responding to and trying to prevent criminal activity. And so these, these various uh, bullets within some of the, the documentation, um, you know, quote, work with residents to identify problems and collaborate on implementing solutions that produce meaningful results. Well, I... Duh. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're already doing. Engage in multidisciplinary community team approaches for planning, implementing, and responding to crisis situations. Well, sure, I think that we could probably do a little bit more of that. But, you know, it's one of the things that law enforcement leaders have been doing, going out to community meetings, um, you know, forever. Sure. But I think as I read it, the multidisciplinary community team approaches. I'm thinking about uh, social workers, but more importantly, I'm thinking about uh, departments of public health and how they really should share in dealing with um, issues around mental illness and uh, drugs, um, child abuse and, uh, and other things like that, where, uh, believe me, as a law enforcement agency, I would defer to them to handle, uh, I'd give up budget money to get uh, mental health uh, professionals to come with law enforcement officers that are going to a scene where you're going to deal with somebody um, where we know through the, the call, the first call from a family member or a friend or a coworker who knows that there's a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. where a mental health worker can help. So the trouble is we don't have a lot of 911 mental health uh, team workers mm-hmm. available to jump in a radio car and go out there with you. So um, we've, we've got to figure that one out. Um, but as far as, as having other experts from the fields uh, join up, I, I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, one of the ones that comes to mind is homelessness. You know, I mean, right. cops are constantly coming up and down various streets in my neighborhood and other places in San Francisco because it's, this city has become a magnet for the homeless. 
uh, drug-addled sometimes, um, psychologically um, impaired uh, in other cases, and sometimes both. And, you know, cops are coming to these calls and helping to clear out these doorways when, in fact, it should be people from the public health department sure. um, who can maybe get them into treatment or can get them into, you know, get them a cot, you know, in one of those shelters. Um, because it's you know it's to me that's a misappropriation of police resources. Law enforcement shouldn't be doing those sure, calls at all. Sure, you know? no, and, and if you go to the website uh, for the city of San Diego and you look at the serial inebriate program, I mean that is a best practice example of law enforcement working with public public health uh, and homeless um, resource outreach people to address those problems, so that you're not you don't do that. Uh, you know, four four hours at a time life sentence for these individuals that you preemptively uh, take the problem out of that nine one one call. Yeah, you know, there's another one of these these bullets, um, and we're talking again about the the fourth pillar. You know, it's all about community policing. It's all about um, crime reduction, crime prevention. Um, and for me, one of the things that you need to have in order for uh, you to know, have effective community policing and crime prevention is increased police presence in some places. I mean, it's, you know, the, the fact is, is that sometimes you need to have a few more officers come to a call. You know, you have officers responding solo to domestics and getting, you know, shot or, or getting into really troubling situations. You know, that to me is a two officer call, but you need budget and resources to have two person cars. You need budget and resources to have the availability of more officers on any given shift. And so, you know, you can't kind of have it both ways, in my opinion. You can't say we want to have more community policing and more crime prevention and not give law enforcement the tools and resources, resources meaning human resources, um, in, in most of these cases, in order to affect that change, right? Right. But I think going, going back to your idea of having more officers, some of the critical incidents that have happened in the last year involved uh, multiple officers on scene. Mm -hmm. And so the call was for less officers to respond. Um, you know, I've heard some really harsh statements of uh, that referred to uh, multiple officers who shoot as a firing squad, when that's certainly not the case. There's, there's several reasons for multiple officers shooting at an armed individual. Um, but, but the reaction was, let's limit it. Um, I even saw recently on a campus that said they never wanted, they, they issued a uh, decree to the, the school board asking that no more than three officers ever be um, joined together in a group. Um, so it's that kind of thinking that, that um, really should be hashed out. And again, uh, communication with the critics to explain how and why law enforcement works the way they do. I think when you talk about the support, a culture and practice of policing that re reflects values, we go back to values-based policing. And I think the criticism was, uh, why do law enforcement officers have uh, people sit on the curb, cross their feet, and lace their fingers behind their head? Well, so that they don't reach into their pockets and so they don't run away from them. So again, uh, how do you rectify that? Okay, we're not gonna, we're not going to have these six guys sitting on the street until we identify them and search through their pockets one by one, or their waistbands. Instead, we're going to put everybody in handcuffs and throw them, do a cursory search and throw them in radio cars or a wagon. So there's two sides of every coin. So how do you want us to do it? Mm -hmm. um, and if you say, well, we don't want you to do it either way, we want you to detain these people with dignity and respect, uh, respect 
And then now you've got a foot chase or a vehicle chase through neighborhoods where if you did a little preemptive um, dissuasion, you could have prevented it. Yeah. You know, and it's, I'm all for progress. I'm all for making what law enforcement does better when possible. Not not against that. But my thinking is that, you know, they're, they're, some of these, I'm not going to call them demands. I'm going to call them suggestions. First off, are already happening in law enforcement. They're, are, they're just not maybe visible enough for the critics to really see or understand that, you know, law enforcement already practices, you know, policies that protect and value uh, the dignity of all. That's that's what the job is. Sure. You know, I mean, that's the, 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 that's the, that's the kind of the guardian side of the guardian and warrior uh, mindset. Um, you know, so that's already happening. Um, but, you know, to... It, for, again, for me, if you're going to demand and or suggest or request that, you know, you have the the an increase in community policing, well, that costs something. That costs money. That costs people, mm-hmm. and it costs time. And so you have to pony up for that. You can't just say we want more of it and not give law enforcement agencies the opportunity or the ability to furnish that service. Sure. You know, and at the same time, if you want to have lower crime. You know, going back to last week's podcast, you know, you got to afford the ability to use these new technological resources to mine social media, to monitor social media, to uh, use biometrics, to utilize ALPRs, to utilize things that people in some quarters are uncomfortable with because they feel like it might be an infringement of their, you know, their their constitutional rights. Well, you got to reconcile, you know, which way do you want it? Right. You know? Right. And then I think the final bullet here when we talk about um, in, in the implementation guide, they talk about uh, youth engagement and involving youth more in developing uh, leadership training and life skills through positive youth police collaboration, collaboration and interaction. Um, yeah, I think uh, much more than police agencies need to be involved in making that happen. But they, they address in the implementation guide uh, addressing the school-to-prison pipeline. And again, I go back to it all lands on the threshold of law enforcement to fix a social problem. <laughs> and so, number one, I don't like the term school-to-prison pipeline because I can think of an awful lot of students that have never gone to prison. Right. So if, if we're talking about... A, the overwhelming majority of students don't go to prison. The overwhelming majority, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look at the statistics... Uh, look at who drops out of school and why. And let's get, again, let's make a multidisciplinary uh, uh, task force and let's involve the schools, right? So as far as discipline of an unruly or rowdy or assaultive or combative student, believe me, I don't want cops going into a school and pulling somebody out of class because they're not listening or they're being disruptive. That. It, that's on the school. If you want to detain them, send them home, send them to a facility or something like that, I say take law enforcement out of that equation. If you're saying that the school to prison pipeline means that police officers going into schools, doing something that stigmatizes individuals and and sends them on a journey that ends up in prison, I think that's unfair. I think it's it's patently unfair. And a false narrative, in my opinion. It's a false narrative. I think um, if you look at at who's dropping out of school, uh, who's left, um, 
kids in school that are there need protection from other students. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going going to school where nobody wanted to go to the restroom at lunchtime because that's where you went to get robbed in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And so you had kids asking to, to go to the you know a basic bathroom function during class because they were afraid to go mm-hmm. during a lunch break when when the general population was out there. Mm-hmm. So Law enforcement. There is there is a need for law enforcement on schools, uh, again to to show that cops are real people, but also to let the the kids that are there to go to school to learn mm-hmm. to feel safe and protected. Yeah, and, you know I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again that you know the more law enforcement has contact with kids at a young age and through middle school, um, the more effective cops can be at preventing kids from going down the wrong path. So when you say when the when the critics say that this presence of police in schools is is part of this, and I hate it too, school to prison uh, pipeline, it's not. It's actually the opposite. The opposite is taking place where you have law enforcement officers. Being revealed as people, being revealed as protectors, being revealed as people on your side mm-hmm. who are there to help you sure. get an education, that's what's really happening there. So to me, like I said, I think that the whole thing is a false narrative. I think it's just patently untrue, and it, it's un, it's an unproductive conversation. What we should be having is a conversation around you know, having the presence of officers in all these places, not just schools, but in all kinds of places where kids show up. You know, where are they? They go to the malls, they go to the stores, they go to the arcades. They, if, if arcades even still exist, I don't know, I'm dating myself now. Um, skate parks, you know, things like that, where you, if you have cops show up and conduct non-law enforcement, you know, interactions, I think that's a, nothing but a positive thing. Sure. Yeah. All right, well, that's now going to be uh, four of the pillars are... Uh, are done, uh, Jim. It's, we're getting to the end of the list. Next week, everybody, uh, tune back into the Policing um, Matters podcast for a great segment on training and education. And the week thereafter, we're going to get to it. Finally, Officer Wellness and Safety. <laughs>